0: All right, grab your Bible, turn it to Acts chapter 1, verse 12. Acts 1, 12. I'm gonna read you from verse 12 to the end of the chapter, verse 26. It says this. Then they returned to Jerusalem, that's Jesus' disciples, from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away. It's pretty close by. And when they had entered, they went to the upper room where they were staying, The scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in this ministry. Okay. Normally I wouldn't say to do this, but if you're squeamish, the next part's a little gross. I give you permission this one time to block your ears or you can suck it up and we'll just go through it. Okay. Now this man Judas acquired a field with the reward of his wickedness and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle and all his bowels gushed out. This is the Bible we're reading, okay? And it became known to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem so that the field was called in their own language, a that is field of blood. For it was written in the book of Psalms. By the way, if the person next to you has their ears plugged, nudge them. It's time to unplug them. It's written in the book of Psalms. May his camp become desolate and let there be no one to dwell in it and let another take his office. So one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. And they put forward two, Joseph called Barsabbas, who was also called Justice and Matthias. He got a lot of names. Mostly I got one name. He got four. And they prayed and said, Oh, and Matthias. Okay, he's got three. Never mind. I'll stop making fun of him. And they prayed and said, You, Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they cast lots for them, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the 11 apostles. Okay. Moment of transparency for you. I have at times... Eh, struggled, let's say, with that particular section of scripture. Not struggled because I don't know what it's talking about, not struggled that I don't know if it's trustworthy and believable, not like that. Here's why I've struggled with it. We read the first bit of Acts 1 last week, and it's like a monumental huge, important, memorable, mountaintop kind of text, right? Jesus is alive and he's appeared to his disciples and he says, you're gonna be my witnesses and then he ascends into heaven. It's like a pretty big text. And then next week, we're gonna get into Acts chapter two, which is a massive text in the Bible. It's where the Holy Spirit comes, everything changes. It's like bam, 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 like this. Massively, massively important mountaintop text. But sometimes when I'm reading through Acts, I get to this part that we've read today, which is in the middle of those two parts. You got a mountaintop in Acts one at the beginning, a mountaintop in Acts two, and then you've got this text in the middle that's all about picking another apostle. Being honest, sometimes I've said, oh, like, Lord, like, why, like, why couldn't we just go from the mountaintop to the mountaintop? Why do we have to go into this place in the middle and just kind of wait there for a little bit? And it's like almost, not really, but it's like almost a little bit of like the anticlimactic, oh, pick another disciple. Maybe I'm the only one in the room that has struggled with that. But then it struck me this week. There is a, a superior, supreme beauty in that text that we read today in Acts 1. It's not less than any other part of Acts. It's not less than any other part of Scripture at all. And what it's about, it's all about waiting. It's waiting. Someone's like, I'm not gonna like this sermon at all. You you will, it's it's okay. It's about waiting. It's about what happens in the waiting. It's about what God can do in the waiting. So let's talk about waiting, everybody's favorite subject to talk about. If we're being honest, and I'd like a show of hands, how many of you hate waiting? Both my hands are going up hate it. I hate waiting in line. I hate waiting in traffic. I hate waiting for food to cook. My grandmother always told me a watched pot never boils, and I'm still watching it to hurry it up, and she was right. I hate waiting. It always feels like there's something else that we could be doing that's more productive. It always feels like there's something better to be doing. Waiting, we always and often associate it with a negative thing. And if we're being honest, it sometimes can make us grumpy. It makes me grumpy. Anytime I go to Costco on a Saturday and all you do is you wait, you wait for people to get out of your way, you wait for the checkout line, you wait to get out of the parking lot, drives me nuts. <laughs> Confessional time is over. Thank you for listening to me. Okay, okay. Here's what I want to say, though. Let's lay aside the little things. They seem like big things at the time, but waiting in line to get across the Harbor Bridge, not really that big a deal. Let's forget about those small things. What about periods of life where we're in the waiting over something that's pretty big and significant? What about those times where, you know, maybe you've lost your job, and you're waiting to find out what your next job is going to be? And maybe you've taken steps and you've handed out resumes and you've done all the stuff that you can do, but, but now you're just waiting, waiting for someone to call you back. What about times where maybe you move to a new city? We have people, actually a fair few people in our church who this would describe. I was living my life in this place, had my routine, had all my stuff, and then I dropped it all and I moved to St. John. New place. <laughs> hey, that ministered to somebody, okay. Best decision we ever made. <laughs> I'll say nothing. I'm glad for that. But you know how it is, okay? You're in a new place. If you've ever moved before, now it's okay. Now what? Now i got to figure out what my life is like here. i got to establish a new routine. i got to get into the groove here. i got to learn where everything is. You're just kind of in a little bit of a holding pattern, a waiting pattern. Maybe you've been in waiting before because maybe you haven't been feeling well and you've gone to the doctor and they've run some tests and you're just waiting for the test results to come back. Waiting for some kind of diagnosis or waiting for some kind of answer. Periods in life about big things like this or maybe something else that might be on your heart like that. Those periods of uncertainty. Those periods where there's big choices to come up ahead. Those those periods of time where you're saying, I don't know what comes next. Raise your hand if you've ever been in a situation like that. Then this is for you today. Some of you, by the way, I know you're in a season like that right now as we speak. It's not something that used to happen to you. You're in it right now. And here's my question to you. You don't have to answer this out loud, but what if, just what if, these periods of waiting, right, which are uncomfortable and uncertain and we're not sure what comes next, what if these seasons of waiting were actually ordained by God and what if they were actually useful for something rather than just something to gripe over? What if, what if these periods of waiting were actually something that God could make something of and, and use to help us grow while we're waiting, that's the question on the floor today. And I wanna submit to you, that's exactly what's happening in Acts chapter one right here. This is happening to the apostles. They had this, you know, little thing happen to them where their Lord Jesus was alive and they saw him after he came back to life, like, pff, hello, he was dead and now he's not dead. Pretty big thing. And, and he's appeared to them in his glory and in his splendor and he's told them, you're gonna be my witnesses and, and the world is gonna change and the message is gonna go out and it's gonna be awesome, And he literally says to them in Acts 1, I think verse 4, he says, but for now, wait. Like, what do you mean, wait? Like, Jesus, hello. But that's where they are. And this is not a new concept, by the way. If you go to the next slide, I want to show you that waiting is all through the Bible. Waiting on the Lord specifically. Look, you'll notice, you're smart people. You'll notice the pattern here. Isaiah 40, 31. They who... Wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. Lamentations 3.25, the Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. Psalm 27.14 says, wait for the Lord, be strong, and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. He even said it twice there. Micah 7.7, but as for me, I will look to the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation, and my God will hear me. It's very clear that sometimes the Lord wants us to wait. It's very clear that sometimes God wants us, even though there's big things happening in life and big questions and big stuff going on, he wants us to pull over for a little bit of a pit stop once in a while. I used to watch a lot of NASCAR when I was a kid. I don't so much anymore because I lack something called free time. But when I was a kid, I would watch NASCAR on a Sunday afternoon. And one of the things about NASCAR is that they have to go into the pits for a pit stop once in a while. These races are like four or 500 miles long, and they're flying around the track like this. They don't have enough gas to make it around the whole race without coming in for a stop. Their tires, if they don't do anything, will blow up after a while, so they need to come in and, and get adjustments made and have new fuel and have, have new tires. Now, there are things that can only happen in the pits in a NASCAR race. You can't get fueled up while you're on the track. You can't just reach around at 180 miles an hour and pour more gas in the gas tank. You can't change your tires while you're driving around the track. You can't make the adjustments to the chassis and all this stuff. Although, there is a a pretty famous clip out there from the 80s of Dale Earnhardt, who while he was driving around, he did not come in. He couldn't see out of his windshield, so he unbuckled and he sat on the open window of the car and reached around and cleaned his windshield off while he was driving, hilarious. But other than that one exception, you got to pull off into the pits. So it is with God. There are some things that can only happen in our lives when we go into that period of waiting, when we pull off the road and slow down for a minute and have a pit stop. This tells me a couple of things. Number one, life with Jesus, it's not just a red line sprint all the time. It's not just put your foot to the mat and never slow down and never take a breath and just put your head down and don't ever you know, come up for air. It's not like that. If that's your attitude towards your faith, I'm just telling you, you're gonna burn out and it's not gonna be all that joyful for you. Doesn't work, not sustainable. But, At the same time, life with Jesus is not there. I'm gonna just pull off the road into the pits, shut the car off, throw the keys out the window, put my feet up on the dashboard, and do nothing either. No, a pit stop is temporary. The waiting is temporary. But it's essential, because it's while you're pulled over in the pits that God wants to do stuff in you. And here, in Acts chapter 1, the purpose of this waiting that the apostles were now in God told them to wait so that he could prepare them for the season of work that was coming. I said already in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit comes, the switch is flicked, everything changes, it's go time, foot on the floor, we're going for it. It's going to be awesome next week, by the way, just saying Acts 2 is amazing. But before that happens, evidently, these guys needed something, I don't even think they knew what they needed or that they needed anything, but God knows better. And he said, wait, because I need to do some adjusting before the work happens. That's what's happening in Acts chapter one right here. And it's funny, he doesn't tell them how long they're gonna wait either. Sometimes in our flesh, it's like, God, why will not you just tell me how long I have to wait? Well, it's because he wants you to walk in faith, that's why. Just to nerd out for a quick second, We actually know how long these guys were waiting. They didn't at the time. Let me just say it this way. From the time that Jesus rose from the grave, that was on the Passover weekend, from the time of his resurrection to the time of the day of Pentecost, which is Acts chapter two, when the Holy Spirit comes, there were about 50 days. Somebody say 50 days. And we read last week that from Jesus' resurrection to his ascension, where he ascended into heaven, he was with his disciples for 40 days. So if we've got 50 in total, and Jesus was with them for 40, and then he said, wait, how many days do we have left? 10. 10. These guys only had to wait for 10 days. It wasn't all that long. But again, they didn't know how long. God just said, wait. Maybe you're in a season like that. God says, wait. God says, new routine, slow down, pause. And you say, for how long? And he says, you'll see. That's how he works. But I want to just submit this to you. Jesus, in a sense, he could have just left. R- right after his resurrection, he could have said, okay, boys, I'm out of here, now get to work. But he didn't. At, when he ascended into heaven after those 40 days, he could have said, all right, now get to work. He didn't. He said, wait, because something still had to happen. Before the floodgates open. before this historic season of ministry that we're going to start looking at next week, They had to wait before that work. Let me just remind you something. There's work ahead for us too. We're not just pulled over and having a pleasure cruise and a vacation. God has work for us to do. Turn to your neighbor and says, God has work for us to do. You tell them. We read that last week. God is at work in the world. He's not dead or distant or a doormat. He's alive and well. He's ruling and reigning. He's at work. He's doing stuff in the world right now. He is on a rescue mission to save people from their sins so that they can be forgiven and set free and brought into relationship with God, which is the context we have supposed to have been living this life in all along, close to God. God is at work. And it's all made possible through the death and the resurrection of Jesus. We talked about this already today. Jesus died in our place for our sin so that our sin could be paid for by him and not by us. Jesus died and he rose, he defeated death, and now he's inviting us to trust in him for the forgiveness of our sin. We put our faith in him, we surrender to him, we repent of our sins, we call on him as Lord and Savior, and he saves us. How many of you in the room, you've been saved by Jesus? Okay? That's what it's talking about here. And God wants that to happen all across the world. He wants that to happen to more and more people. And he said in Acts 1-8, we read it last week, we're his witnesses about this. We're the ones that are going out and we're testifying and we're sharing about Jesus and we're showing and reflecting Jesus in our words and in our actions. Remember we said last week, our life is like a billboard. People should see you and it should point them to Jesus in everything that we do, in everything that we are, in everything that we say. we, We need to see you need to see your whole life in connection with this mission that Jesus has given to you. This is something I think we're guilty of as Christians sometimes, as we say, oh, well, that's that's not really for me. Hogwash, right? We say, well, that's not really my gifting. I don't remember reading any fine print in Acts chapter one, verse eight. He says, you're gonna be my witnesses, right? And And we say, oh, well, like, you know, maybe I'll just like, Go real light on it, and you know maybe if the if the exact conditions are right, and, and and you know thunder strikes and and lightning bolt comes down, and the opportunity just absolutely perfect, maybe I'll someday open up my mouth and I'll tell someone about Jesus, but I probably won't. Shh, don't tell the Lord. You know what I mean? That's our attitude. Or, or we see it as like, okay, well, I've got the God part of my life, but, but then I got the rest of my life and God doesn't really have anything to do with that. That doesn't really have anything to do with, with God or the mission or, or, or Jesus or sharing or witnessing or anything. No. You will be my witnesses with your whole life. You're gonna witness for Jesus. We need to see that today. And God wants to strengthen us to that work that is ahead. So I'm telling you, if you are in a period of waiting in your life, not just like waiting for this sermon to be over, I'm talking about the big waiting, the big things, the big questions, I'm telling you, it's connected to your life's mission, which is to witness about Jesus I'm telling you that God wants to use your season of waiting, whatever it is, even if it seems completely detached from anything to do with the Lord, he wants to use that to strengthen you so that when the waiting is over, you can go out and you can be more effective in your mission. Does that make sense today? Okay. So that's what's happening to the apostles here. And I wanna just talk next about What did they do during this waiting period? The Lord said, wait, don't go on ahead. What did they do? Well, the first thing is this, that the apostles did, they listened. They listened, they actually waited. uh, Jesus said, stay in Jerusalem. And look at verse 12. It says, they returned to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olivet. That's where they had met with the Lord. They returned to Jerusalem, just like he told them to do. That's called listening. Now, What we have the tendency to do when God has us in a season of waiting, in that uncomfortable place of uncertainty, let's be honest, sometimes we try to rush on ahead and work it out ourselves so we can get out of the waiting faster. And we just manipulate the outcome to be whatever we think it should be. Usually it just creates more of a headache for us if we're being real honest. The disciples give us a good clue right here. We should actually listen to the Lord and just wait, just be, just trust him. They didn't have all the answers. They didn't know what was coming next, but they said, okay, Lord, I'll do it the way you want me to do it. Maybe the Lord wants to use your period of waiting to get your attention. Like for instance, if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, and maybe part of what's brought you here and made you open to considering all this God stuff You know, maybe that's God trying to get your attention. And he's trying to say, hey, while you're in this waiting, it's a cue, look to me. You need Jesus. You need to be saved. You need to repent. You need to be forgiven. Just saying, if that's you, come talk to me later if that's you. But even for Christians, again, if you're in that season of waiting, that uncomfortable place, trust the Lord and don't run out of it. He's got you there for a reason. Don't rush out of it. They listened to Jesus. The second thing that they did during their waiting was this. They were together. Somebody say they were together. They were together. together. All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. In those days, Peter stood up. The company of persons was in all about 120. Just a sidebar. I've done this before. I have sometimes thought that the only people that had anything to do with Jesus at this time were his 12 disciples. That's just wrong. That's just, that's just wrong completely. There were about 120 people that loved and served and followed Jesus and they were together. And that included the disciples, but that included other people too. Jesus' own mother and his brothers and others. It was cool. 120. Now, when you pour into your faith on an individual level, right? You just take the initiative to read the Bible on your own time, or you're praying to the Lord, or you're fasting, or you're doing whatever. True or false, these are good things. True, we ought to be doing these things. When we do things in a small group kind of a context, some of you guys are in small groups in our church right now. And you can share together, and iron sharpens iron, and it's like a tight group, and it's really close and, and, and in an intimate setting. True or false? Is that a good thing? Yes. It's a very good thing. So I'm not knocking the individual and the small group, but notice this is the context of everybody. What God is going to do in Acts 1, and subsequently, it happened in the context of the whole group, the whole church, the corporate congregation, the whole assembly. There are things that God wants to do in us that he will only do when we're all together. God can do whatever he wants, don't get me wrong, but I'm just saying he loves when his people come together as one. I mean, you're here this morning, I'm preaching to the choir, right? But this is one of the reasons of many why it says in Hebrews chapter 10 to not give up the habit of meeting together. Some Christians get this idea of, well, I don't really need the church. It's just me and Jesus and a cabin in the woods, and I'm good. Hey, go to a cabin in the woods. That's great. But don't forsake the assembly of the saints. If these guys aren't together... This whole thing unravels. It all blows up. God wanted them together with one accord. Even if your season of waiting in your life seems very individual, and I don't really know what it has to do with anyone else. You know, it's my, I'm, I'm looking for a new job, not all them. I'm waiting for a diagnosis on my health, not all them. It's still connected to the corporate. God wants to build you up and strengthen you to get out of your season of waiting, and he wants to do it in the context of the whole church. So here's what I'm saying. We need this. We need each other. We cannot slack on this. Amen? Amen. Number three, what these guys did while they were waiting, they prayed. You probably knew that was coming, right? All these with one accord were devoting themselves... To prayer. What I love about that, by the way, it's not legalistic. It's not like, here's the way you must pray. Boom, boom, boom. It says they were devoted to prayer. That can maybe look like a little bit of different things for, for each of us, but it means they were given to it. They were committed to it. They didn't just do it as like a little sprinkle of salt on the top. This was part of their life. Devoted to prayer. You guys know about prayer, obviously it's talking to God, it's communication with God, it's listening to God. I don't know if you're like me, you're better at the talking part and not as good at the listening part, but it's a two-way street, super imperative, it's super important for our relationship because how many of you know relationships don't work without good communication? okay? God wants a relationship with you, and he wants communication with you, two-way communication, and these guys were doing it while they were waiting. They didn't have the answers. They didn't know what was going to happen, but they prayed, and they prayed together. Super, super important, and the cool thing about prayer, it's not just that we get closer to God while we pray. I mean, that's awesome, but also Scripture's very clear. When we pray, God hears us. Do Do you know what percentage of your prayers God hears? 100%. Do you know what percentage of prayers God answers? 100%. He doesn't always give you exactly what you want and exactly what you ask for, because no offense, sometimes we ask for dumb stuff. (laughs) Guilty as charged. But God, though he doesn't always give you what you want, he always gives you what you need. He answers your prayer. Sometimes God says yes when you ask for something. Sometimes God says no. Sometimes he says not right now. But all of those are an answer. He always answers. He always shows up. And we're gonna see that that's what he did here. But they prayed during their waiting. I wonder, don't answer this out loud. If you're waiting today, are you praying? Need to be, imperative. Number four is this. Also, super important. These guys during their waiting, they lived by the word. Somebody say the word. We're talking about the scriptures. Look here. Peter stands up and he says, brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled. In verse 20, he says, it's written in the book. That's the Bible, the scriptures. Now, what's happening here is Peter was able to recall what the word said, which means that he, at least to some extent, knew the word. And if you know the word, it's because you've spent time in the word. Very simple, right? It's a very simple formula. And I know sometimes what we think is this. Look, I'm in this period of waiting in my life. What is some, watch my hands, some old ancient book got to do with anything? How's this thing right here gonna help me? Oh, you know what that tells me? You've never tried it before. Just saying. I'll just remind you, this is the word of God. The the living and active word of God that he sends out and it always accomplishes what he sends it out for. This here, it's more than just reading words on a page. Something supernatural happens in us. God meets with us and changes us and shows up for us through his word. But you gotta be in the word, right? Just having one in your house and it being under the short leg of the couch, that doesn't count. (laughs) Gotta read it, gotta be in it, right? Like it's very simple, but we can't skip over the simple things because there's power here because I want to show you next, the, the apostles, they, they took these simple steps, right? They actually shut up and listened to God and did what he asked. They met together. They prayed together. They lived by the word, and the word was just swirling all around through there in their life, and I'm saying that stuff happened because of that, So I got two things to show you. What did all this activity that the apostles did, what did it accomplish? The first one, you can see it on the screen, unity was accomplished, unity. It says, all these with one accord. It's like this, because of the inputs that they were putting in during their waiting, everyone was on the same page. Everyone was pulling on the rope and pulling the same direction. It wasn't the tug of war, right? Where, where one team's going this way and one team's going this way and whoever's the strongest will or the strongest muscle is gonna win. It's not what happened. Remember, God had them waiting. God had them waiting so they could be strengthened to go out and be more effective in the mission God had given them. And as they were waiting, they were strengthened and now they're pulling all the same direction here. I'll just say this. It's hard to fulfill any kind of mission if we're not unified, Right? Zoom out even from the church. A sports team, your team at work, anything. If you've got people going helter-skelter in every different direction, you're gonna get helter-skelter results in every single direction. Everybody needs to be working together with the same goal in mind, with, with, with the same prize that they're working toward. And I'm saying that this happened for the disciples, for the apostles, Something interesting about unity, it's not just something that you reach out your hand and grab onto. Unity happens as a result of other things happening. And I'm saying these guys got unified because of all the stuff that they were doing. They were together, they were praying, they were in the word. They were listening to God. All of these things and unity happened as a result. And I'll just say this, if the church is not unified, who got quiet? If the church is not unified, good luck for us being very effective at our mission. Good luck with that. A house divided itself will not stand, the Bible says. It's not going to work. But if the church is unified in our mission that's been given to us by God to be witnesses for him, if we are unified, nothing can stop us and this here, again, even if your waiting is, well, what does my waiting, what does my job search, what does my health scare have anything to do with the mission and with the church? Again, remember, we don't wait alone. We wait in the context of community. The answer that you're looking for is in the context of community. And we all need to be unified as a community. Do you understand what I'm saying? The second thing, and this is, this is key, this is everything. This is the resolution of all this text in Acts 1. What did their activity that they did in their waiting, what did it accomplish? God showed up and he revealed a specific need that they had. This is everything, everything. And the, 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 the thing that they needed, apparently, was to add another disciple. I don't think that the apostles knew this when their waiting started. Jesus said, wait. They're like, Why? Why can't we go now? Because God knew that they were missing something. They didn't even know it. But while they were praying and together and and in the word and, and unified together, Peter realizes and he stands up and he says, ah, one of us must become a witness to Jesus' resurrection. See, here's what happened. Jesus, how many disciples did Jesus call originally? 12. At this point, there were only 11 because one of Jesus' disciples, Judas Iscariot, you've probably heard of him and heard his story. It was the the falling headlong part that we read today. Judas was not really a true follower of Jesus. He hung around with them. He looked the part, but at the end of the day, his heart was not for the Lord. He betrayed Jesus. He sold him out to the religious leaders for 30 pieces of silver. Betrayed him. And then afterward, he felt remorseful. He realized, the light bulb came on, he realized what he had done. And he was so racked with guilt that he hung himself. So now there's only 11 disciples, only 11 apostles, which maybe we don't think as much of anything, but they realize, oh my word, we need to add someone else to our number. Now, we're gonna nerd out for a second. We're gonna go on a little bit of a sidebar just off road here a little bit. So everyone buckle your seatbelt, okay? Have you ever wondered why they needed a 12th apostle? A lot of times, I just roll over it and go, okay, they decided they need a 12th. Okay, whatever, sure. But there's actually a reason why this happens. So we're just gonna nerd out on this for a minute, if you'll indulge me. First of all, in a sense, it doesn't matter, you know, it doesn't matter why they needed another disciple because God told them, hey, you need to add someone else. And if God said it, that's enough for me. However, there's much of a deeper reason than that. First of all, stay with me on this. This is fun. The number 12 in the Bible is significant. How many of you have heard that numbers in the Bible are significant? They're not just numbers. Oftentimes they mean something or represent something or they're symbolic of something. And the number 12 in the Bible represents perfect government and perfect divine order. It represents completeness. Everything's the way that it should be. There's perfect authority there. Well, then if we don't have 12 and we only have 11... Right? It doesn't communicate the same thing at all. So let me just say this. The Bible, right here, right here, this is the story of God's redemptive work in mankind. The Bible is really one story in a whole bunch of sequences and a whole bunch of parts, and it's about God and what he does to reconcile people to himself, to save people and bring them close to him again. That's what's happening in the Bible. And this rescue mission that God is carrying out all throughout the scriptures, all throughout history, near the beginning of that, What he does, he says, I'm gonna create a family for myself to further this rescue mission. God forms his own people, they're called Israel. Happens way back in the Old Testament. And Israel is significant because They were God's special possession in the earth. And through the Israelites, the the rule and the reign of God was gonna be manifested on the earth. Through the Israelites, the Messiah, the Savior, was gonna be born, his name is Jesus. And through the Israelites, all the nations of the world were gonna be blessed. They were the vehicle by which the whole world could be saved because Jesus came from them. And Israel, in its creation, it was divided into tribes. Guess how many tribes Israel was divided into? 12 tribes. Someone's read their Old Testament. I like it. So just keep that in mind. Keep these pieces in mind. There's God. He's doing a redemptive work, and the number 12 is in there. Now you fast forward to the book of Acts. Jesus has come. Jesus has died. Jesus has risen. Jesus has ascended. We're into a new era in the same plan that God has had all along to save the world, and now he's sending out this group of apostles, this small group of which there were supposed to be 12 to go into the world and to spread this message and, and, and witness about the kingdom and witness about salvation. Again, if there are only 11 of them, that doesn't communicate the divine completeness and the divine order and the importance and the mission and all this. There needs to be 12. It doesn't say anything about the apostles realizing this, by the way, until the Lord shows up and goes, oh, I think we need to have a 12th. Furthermore, I heard someone say this earlier. There needed to be another one because there were prophecies that needed to be fulfilled about this and Judas being replaced. Psalm 69 is referenced in Acts 1. It's May his camp become desolate. Verse, uh, Psalm, well, I'll just read it right here. Oh, it's not on there. Never mind. Doesn't matter. His camp become desolate. Psalm 109 8 is another one. It says, Let another take his office. So God clearly said this is going to need to take place. And so that they choose. Another one, and it says again, verse 21, let us choose someone who has been with us this whole time. Remember, it wasn't just the 12 disciples that followed Jesus around and no one else. There were a multitude of people. And they said, we gotta pick among people who have been with us the whole time, who have seen this whole Jesus thing unfold. And they bring forth two names. And it says they cast lots. Very quickly on casting lots, this was a way that God's will was determined in ancient times, Casting lots, we don't even necessarily know what these lots looked like. It could have been like a stick or some kind of like a dice set or like a stone or a coin or something. And it would be thrown, and whatever it came out as oh, its heads or its tails or whatever that's how people would determine what God's will was. The casting of lots is mentioned 70 times in the Old Testament, it's only mentioned seven times in the New Testament, and I think the reason why is because it's not generally something we need to do right now, because now as Christians, we have the Holy Spirit, and we can seek wisdom from the Holy Spirit to make decisions that the Lord is leading us to, to lead. Now, take a breath. We're coming back on the road. You say, why, Braden, why do I care how many disciples there were Because I'll be honest, Braden, I'm struggling in my life and I'm in a period of waiting and there's uncertainty and the walls are closing in. I'm not sure I care about how many apostles there were. Well, I'm saying you should because there's a principle in there for you. These guys had a need. Didn't even really know what they needed, but God did. And they pressed in, though they didn't have all the answers. Though they're in that uncomfortable waiting period, they pressed in, and as they did, God revealed what they needed, and He gave them wisdom so that they could execute it and so that they could fill the gap that they had, so that, that they could go out and be stronger in the work that God had prepared them to do. They pressed into the Lord, and He answered, and they were able to come out of this season stronger, because now the thing that they were lacking, the work that God wanted to do in them, it was done. And now we're ready to roll. I'm saying that if we take positive steps in our periods of waiting in our lives, the same principle applies. I don't know what you're waiting on. I don't know what your needs are today. But I'm telling you that this will work for you. Whether it's waiting in your personal life or waiting as a church, we press in, God's gonna show up. He's gonna give us what we need. I wonder if that might be helpful in your pattern and your season of waiting. Just saying, let me start to wrap this up then. Sum this up. There's work to do. Somebody say there's work to do. There's a lot of work to do. And all of us have a role to play in that. Again, you need to start seeing yourself as an agent for God's kingdom. If you are a Christian, there's work for you to do. There's witnessing for you to do. There's things for you to do. There's things, excuse me, for all of us to do. And this work of witnessing about Jesus and pointing others to him and sharing about him and representing him in all things in our lives, this might look like different things or manifest itself in different ways in different seasons in our lives. Because sometimes life is seasonal. For instance, some of you in this room right now, your foot's on the gas pedal. You know what lane the Lord has put you in and you're driving in it. You're involved in ministry, you're serving, you're sharing the gospel, you're discipling other people, whatever it is for you, you know the lane that God has you in and your foot's on the gas and you're doing it. To you, I say, keep up the good work. It's awesome. Some of you guys, I know this from conversations that I've had with you. Some of you right now are in a period of waiting Again, whatever the circumstances, in between jobs, new city, health scare, whatever it is, you're in that big season of waiting and you're trying to figure out what's next and you're saying, I don't know what lane I'm supposed to be in. I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing right now. I'm not sure who I should be witnessing to. I'm not sure who I should be discipling. I'm not sure how I should be serving. I'm not sure what God wants me to be doing right now. And what I wanna say to you is this, take heart. Because that season of waiting as we have seen, was very likely ordained by God. He has you there for a reason, for a season. It's not a place of shame at all or or discredit to you at all if you're in a holding pattern right now, if you're in a waiting pattern right now. In fact, that place can actually be the edge of breakthrough because if God is doing that, he's trying to prepare you for something. He's trying to strengthen you and equip you for something so that you can go out and be more effective for him. You could be right on the edge of it in your life. But whether or not the season of waiting you are in is going to be helpful, it depends entirely on what you make of it. See, God is ready and able and willing to do his part, but we gotta do our part as well. If you are in a season of waiting right now and you do nothing, not gonna be helpful. It's gonna be a waste of time and a pretty uncomfortable one at that. I'll give you an example If you can rewind about four years, this thing called COVID started. I said a bad word in church. We can laugh about it now, right? This thing called COVID started, and all of a sudden, all of us, in every way, were in a waiting period. It was stay the blazes home. So we did. We stayed home. And I'm not commenting on what you should or shouldn't think of COVID. I'm just talking about our collective experience. We were all home for a while. We were all wearing our pajamas for a few months, like every day, right? that was my experience anyway. And uh, while that was all going on, and that took a few months to come out of that, that was like most of the spring that year, I'm saying that some people and some churches came out of that really strong. Because in that season of waiting, some people said, okay, Lord, I don't know what in the world is going on, so I'm going to draw near to you. I'm going to press into my relationship with you. I'm going to seek wisdom for you. I'm going to ask you, what do you want me to be doing in this? Because I don't know what's going on. And as people waited on the Lord and, and sought the Lord in that weird, uncomfortable season, well, then that season ended. And then people who were spending time with the Lord, I'm generalizing, but came out of that and said, okay, Lord, cool, I feel sharper than I did when I went into that. Some churches, that's the same experience there. They just doubled down in prayer. And Lord, we don't, we're not even allowed to meet as a church right now, so what are we gonna do? <coughs> they prayed, excuse me, need a drink. They prayed and came out of that season stronger. I don't mean this wrong, but let's be honest, for some people and for some churches, that was not the experience. COVID started and it was vacation. Sweet. And we did nothing and we just went on a bender and we didn't think about the Lord for like three or four months. And it was just like, oh, and I love, and some people literally have had this conversation. Well, Braden, I realized that I like sitting at home in my pajamas on Sunday morning better than I like getting out the door and coming to church. And then I said, in my mind, I said that. I never actually hit anybody. And I'm not trying to badmouth anyone or any church or anything like that, but I'm just saying that season ended, and nothing had been done. No seed had been sown, no effort had been made. So now, when the ability is there to move out of it, some people and some churches super unprepared, and were further behind than they were when it started. And I'm saying that's tragic. When that happens, okay, forget about COVID. We just forget about that. When that is the way we use our seasons of waiting, it's tragic because God is right there ready to do something amazing and powerful in us and we squander the chance. So I'm saying right now, if this is where you are or if sometime down the road, you come into a season of waiting, I want you to remember this. You need to remember the point of it all and his name is Jesus. He is the point. He is the prize. He is the purpose. His is the mission. It's all about him. We need to walk with Jesus. We need to abide in Christ. We need to witness for Jesus. God is inviting us to this grand plan, this grand work that he is doing in the world, the same work he was doing when the book of Acts was written. It's still happening now. So I'm saying if you are struggling to know your next steps, you're struggling to find your footing, you don't know what God has for you in the future, I'm saying take heart. Because you can use this period you're in right now to press in and you'll come out stronger for it because that's the model that God has set for us. God will not waste your season of waiting if you are willing to seek him in your waiting. That's the rest of Acts 1. And we're gonna see next week that this waiting period, it ends and the Holy Spirit comes and it lights these people up. He lights these people up and everything changes. But for now, they're waiting. So let's take heart in that.